Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's daily podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Good afternoon. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be conducting the conference call for today. Uh, Leo, can you uh, start our first question? Sure, Rebecca. Kiran? Thanks, Rebecca. So um, I filed for downgrade at Texas Service Center on October 30th, 2020. I received my AP and EAD last week. Uh, my wife, Biometrics, uh, she just got it like late October and her current I-94 and EAD both expires December 25th, 2021. The question I have is, if we file her H-4 and H-4 EAD concurrently before 24th, 2025, will she automatically get extension for 180 days? Okay, so her H-4, when does her H-4 expire right now? December 25th, 2021. Okay, and the I-539 and I-765 have not yet been filed? Um, for the 485, they already filed, we are waiting. But for H-4 and H-4EAD, we haven't filed. We are hoping, you know, we'll have get the AOS EAD by now. Okay, and you've continued to maintain your H-1B status? Yes. Okay, so you haven't used your EAD AP? No, yeah. I just got it last week. Okay. Um, yes, so if you continue to maintain your H-1B, your wife can file for an H-4 extension, um, or actually if your H-1B is extended already, has it been extended? Yeah, I changed the employer, uh, and then, you know, uh, I got a new H-1, so. Okay, in order for her to be able to take advantage of the auto extension for the H-4, she would need to travel, get the H-4 visa stamp and come back in. And uh, either now or when she comes back, file the I-765 and have that pending I-765. That will probably get her work authorization um, faster potentially than the EAD from the pending I-485. If she, has, if she hasn't received it yet, um, it's not really clear when she will if it's at the Texas Service Center. And with the most recent uh, policy that got in, like if we file both H-4 and EAD concurrently um, before December 24th, is there, do you think there will be, will they be accepting that? Should, yeah. But filing the I-539 on its own is not going to auto extend her EAD. She needs to travel and get the extended I-94 by going for visa stamping. Okay. okay. Next okay. Thank you. Gargi? Yeah, hi. Uh, so I have a question. 
I got my green card a month and a half ago. At the same time, you know, my spouse should have got it, but she hasn't got her green card. And it's been a month and a half now. We did create an SR that was rejected or not really, I said rejected. They just say, okay, it's taking long and, you know, they're working on it, right? No, not really. Uh, but now it's making me worry. So what we, what, what is our option? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it does happen. So um, we have seen cases like that where for some reason the principal applicant gets their approval and either the spouse or child's is still pending for a few months afterwards. And it may be a security check that is taking longer for a certain person if their name matches close to something that is in the DHS security database or they may have accidentally separated the files. Um, so it has happened. Um, but unfortunately, pretty much all you can do is keep following up with them. So when you put in the inquiry, they'll give you kind of a target date where you might hear something. If you don't hear something by then, you can try following up again. But so far, that is uh, kind of the only option available to you. Um, I will say that there was one family's case where it took us about six months after the initial approval to get the child's approval. And there wasn't any, they didn't give us any reason for it, for why it ended up taking that long, but it did end up getting approved. Um, you know, if there isn't anything odd in her immigration history, criminal record, nothing like that, then there shouldn't be anything to worry about, just whatever administrative agency or delays um, is what I would So, so there, there's no issue if there's a delays a few months, right? I mean, she is well in the status because she has a, her 485 filed and everything is all good, right? Yeah. So if you were both maintaining like H status before, she's no longer in H4 status, um, but the pending I-485 application does put her in a period of authorized stay. Um, and if she has, if she received an EAD or advanced parole based on that pending I-485, those are still valid for you. She has both. She has both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, right, thank you so much. Sure. Next question. Manish? Yeah, hi. Uh, good afternoon. It's Manish here. Um, I have a quick question about uh, if you guys can do my interfiling for EB2. Uh, I have my downgraded application filed last October. Uh, EB3 is already approved. So I just wanted to check if you guys can handle my interfiling. Um, I we do the interfiling requests for our current clients. Um, I don't think we take too many outside interfile requests because it is a pretty simple form, or it's not even a form. It's just a letter, basically, that you send in to USCIS with a copy of your I one forty two approval notice them to, and a copy of your I-485 receipt notice, asking them to basically consider the I-485 in the EB-2 category. Um, so you could do it on your own if you wanted to, or the attorney who filed your I-485. It's really not even an application uh, that needs to have a lot of documentation or arguments or anything like that. So I think we don't do it too much for outside clients. Um, but you did want us to handle it, it would be uh, Rahul's team that handles that. So um, if you did want to check if 
if they're able to do it, you can always send an email to Robble at Robble at rnlawgroup.com. But it is pretty straightforward. Um, can I ask, is your priority date in EB2, is it current in the final action dates chart right now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So your priority date is before May 2012? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then if you'd like to interfile, you can. We do usually recommend waiting until it's current according to chart A. Okay. okay. So uh, which address do I send this to? Uh, because my Rahul case. Rahul at rnlawgroup.com. Oh, okay. So if you want, oh, if you want to mail the the interfile on your own, you mean the mm -hmm. physical address? It would be the address on your I forty five receipt notice. So the service oh, okay. center where the I forty five is pending. Oh, cool. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Next question. Hello, Roy. Yeah, Rebecca. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. So my question is that uh, the H1, H4 extension and uh, the H4 EAD extension have been filed together. And uh, recently after six months, I got my H1B approval, but uh, still I have not got the approval for my wife, H4. Uh, her H4 EAD and H4 both are pending. So right now, if I go uh, to the Mexico and get the I-94 revalidated for my wife, so should uh, we again need to refile my H4 EAD for my wife or uh, that we don't need to refile the H4 EAD again? So are you going Are you going to try to go for visa stamping in Mexico? No, no, it's an automatic revalidation, right? If we go and the, uh, any of the border, right, CBP? Right, but automatic revalid, so an important thing to remember is automatic revalidation requires the person who's trying to revalidate, that person needs an approval notice, an I-797 approval notice with an I-94 attachment in their name. That okay, so my my H1 will not be sufficient for my wife's revalidation? No. So you could automatically revalidate because you have an H-1B extension, I assume with the I-94 attachment, but mm -hmm. you would not be able to unless she had an I-539 approval notice with the I-94 attachment. Um, oh, okay. Revalidation isn't really an option for this um, H-4 auto EAD auto extension policy because um, most cases are similar to yours where the H-1B is already extended, but the H-4 is not um, because there's not really a need for you to automatically revalidate anything. And the H-4, if they had the I-539 approval notice, then, then they don't need to automatically revalidate. The auto extension policy applies. So is, um, there any, is there any idea that how, how much time it can take for H-4 to be approved because H-1 has already been approved, right? And we do not have in the biometric right now. Yeah, what USCIS is, aiming for is six months total. So if it's been pending and we have been, they were aiming for that um, as of September. Um, and I would say we have noticed that it does look like I-539s are, seem to be getting approved around the six month mark now. Um, yeah, it is more than six months it has been pending. Yeah. It has it's been not filed on always the case. Um, okay. So you can check the processing time for the service center on the USCIS website. If it is outside that processing time, you can put in a service request to follow up. But beyond that, there isn't 
much that can be done. Okay, okay, no problem. Thank, thank you so much. You're welcome. Next question. Uh, hey, Rebecca, good evening. This is Sandeep. So uh, my H1B is maxing out in uh, March 2022, next year 22. And my perm was filed in uh, May 28 this year. Uh, last week, I got the audit. So by the time we respond and get the audit is uh, you know, uh, processed, it will be beyond the six-year limit. So what are my options in this case usually if I want to continue to stay? Yeah, it is pretty limited, your options, unfortunately. Um, one thing that we do have uh, give people the option of doing is, uh, so is March 2022 your six-year limit, including any time that you've spent outside the U.S.? I roughly have like uh, 35 days, so it okay. will go to April, mid of April, but still it's not. Uh... Yeah. Um, kind of the other thing you can do is sort of along the same lines as the recapture is to before March, if you take one or more trips that, you know, add up to, let's see, if the audit was just issued, once the audit response is submitted, we would estimate it taking another five months or so to process. So with your attorney to kind of calculate out when they expect a final decision on the perm, um, if that ends up being like May or June, maybe probably closer to June, um, that means, and if you have 35 days or so of recapture, if you can um, accumulate two more months or a little over two more months of recapture time between now and March, um, that would be an option for your company to just file like a three month extension or so, like a short term extension, just using the time that you've accumulated outside the US until hopefully the perm is approved and you can file the I-140 for an um, and get another three-year extension of the H-1B. Um, that does require spending time outside the U.S. Or you could also just, rather than uh, traveling before March, just plan to depart the U.S. before your um, current H-1B expires and wait outside the U.S. until the I-140 is approved. Then your company can file the H-1B. That would require you to go for visa stamping. Um, so it's not a great option, but the only other option really that we've had people do is change to another visa status in the U.S. if that's available to them. So if your spouse happens to be in H-1B status and, and you can switch to H-4, um, or we've sometimes had people switch to F-1 status, um, it's also not really a great option because changing to F-1, that application takes many months closer to eight to 12 months and um, you know you're not able to work in the meantime I would say the most common option that we end up seeing is people depart the U.S. wait outside the U.S. for the I-140 approval notice because they may be able to work out an arrangement with their company where they can work remotely from their home country in the meantime. Yeah, is uh, visiting or the B2 is also an option? Uh, we would not recommend that for this situation. The B2 is really kind of a temporary emergency option that um, was being filed in 2020 as a result of the COVID 
the early days of the COVID pandemic where flights were shut down, people who intended to leave just couldn't because there were no flights. So um, yeah, we don't ever really use the B2 in this situation. Okay, one last question. So uh, if uh, another employer is uh, you know, ready to file a firm for me on, you know, as a backup option, while one my current firm is uh, in audit, can I do that? Go file another. That is fine if it's through a completely different company. Okay. 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 Next question. Nishita. Hi, Rebecca. Um, I'm a U.S. citizen, and uh, I filed for my parents' green card application back in uh, 2019. Um, they finally got their call uh, for their interview. Uh, it's in about four weeks, December 22nd. Uh, unfortunately, last week I lost my job and I have submitted for unemployment uh, from uh, Texas Work Commission. I wanted to know if uh, that's going to impact their interview in any way. Is that something that they can decline their green card or is that something that we need to be concerned about? Um, potentially. So they're here in the U.S. or they? No, they're in India. They're in India. Okay. If they filed through the consulate and but you were the um, kind of main financial support for the affidavit of yeah. your financials? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, it could potentially, although um, if, it's, if their interview is coming up later this month, um, it may not be an issue. I would say just to be safe, um, to prepare an affidavit from a co-sponsor. Um, okay. so it is possible to have... Um, Usually it's a relative of yours, but it doesn't have to be. Um, mm -hmm. who does have income um, and has you know pay stubs that they can show who are willing to sign the affidavit of support as a co-sponsor, um, basically saying that they are willing to, the whole reason for the financials is to um, show USCIS that there is someone who will financially support your parents um, in the event that they are unable to while they're in the U.S. so that they don't go on um, public assistance while they're here. So if, they're, if you have a relative um, who's a U.S. citizen or green card holder who is willing to sign that and has income, then you can have that prepared and sent um, to them to bring to the interview. Okay, and you're saying that they don't have to be a relative, but they have to be a U.S. citizen or a green card holder. Right, they should be a U.S. Okay. citizen green card holder. They don't need to be directly related to you or your parents as long as okay. they're sign that. Okay. And they have to, uh, they can mention in the interview that she's currently not working and this is another co-sponsor. Yes. Um, I would say they don't need to bring it up unless the officer asks them about it. Unless they ask for it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. All right. That was the only question I had. Uh, thank you, Rebecca. You're welcome. Next question. Meenal? Yeah, hi, um, Rebecca. First of all, I would like I would like to thankful to Rahul Reddy. Um, I consulted him personally and his advice really helped me a lot. So I'm really grateful to Rahul Reddy. So mm -hmm. my next question to you is, um, my parents are staying with me uh, on visitor visa here and I'm on H1B currently. They have already filed the extension and they'll be completing their one year in February, 2020, uh, 2022. So can okay. they apply the further extension on visitor visa? Uh, so an extension to, for a total of 18 months on one trip? 
on one trip they'll okay. be completing like uh, 12 months in february 2022 okay um we usually do not recommend it unless there is some kind of unusual situation usually a medical situation that prevents them from being able to travel back to their home country if there isn't some sort of unusual circumstance like that um we don't recommend requesting a further extension beyond 12 months okay so since there is new um variant is coming up with the covid so could that be a problem like i don't recommend them because they are too old so i don't want them to travel Yeah then I would say if you are going to request a further extension you will need um as supporting documentation some sort of statement from a physician here who has met with them or examined them and are providing a statement that in their professional medical opinion your parents should not travel internationally due to their personal health and environmental factors including the new variant so you usually do need some sort of supporting documentation to support a particular reason for a further extension. Okay. And if they if they just in case they need to travel to India so can they take my baby along with them? Uh my baby is a US US citizen. Uh there's no problem with that as long as it's fine according to Indian um travel rules. Okay. Okay. okay and how long they they need to stay in india if they need to travel to india like when they can come back to us uh so it's important to remember that it's a visitor visa so if it looks like they are just traveling back to india for the purpose of putting in some time there only to travel back to the us for an extended period of time they can have their entry denied and their visitor visa revoked so it so it shouldn't ever look like they are living here in the US that's not the purpose of the visitor visa so there isn't a bright line rule for how long they need to stay in india but i would say just um their travel history as a whole should not make it look like that they are living here in the US or intending to live in the US so okay after a one year visit in the US continuously i'd say at least several months in india would be the minimum Okay. Okay. Next question. Thank you. Shreyas. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, my my green card priority date is August two thousand thirteen, and I have my EB two one forty approved. And uh, recently, when um, the dates were current on EB three, I downgraded my um, uh, application. And, i had submitted a new eb3 application uh, and did the adjustment of status and i got an um, my ead with it but my eb3 i140 still not approved um and if i had to uh, um, leave my employer at this time what are my options like i i heard that there's something called 485j with ead you can you can change the employer so can you just give me the list with you can technically but you said your i140 EB3 is still pending, right? Right. Yeah. Um so if your I-45 has been pending for at least 180 days, you can use AC21 to move to a new employer. What that main what AC21 mainly allows is for you to can have your I-485 continue to be pending without having to do a new perm in I-140 with the new employer. But um if your I-140 
with your current employers not yet approved, the risk is that if after you leave, the employer withdraws the EB3 I-140 that's still pending, um, you may get an RFE later asking you to prove to USCIS that that I-140 was approvable. Even though it was not approved, it was withdrawn before it was approved, you still have to show USCIS that it was approvable, um, which can be difficult if you're no longer with the company and have no relationship with them. So practically, we usually recommend not switching jobs on AC21 until the underlying I-140 has been approved. Yeah, and also I forgot to uh, mention that my dates were current on EB3 um, earlier when I uh, uh, submitted, and I think recently they retroactive dates, Retro and now yeah. it's actually back to 2012 May. So that's the reason actually I did not go for um, premium processing of EB3 140 because yeah. it did not make sense for me. So do you recommend to get my uh, I-140 EB3 premium process and then do you um, happen to know which service center is that the i-140 is uh, it it's in nebraska okay i would premium process it then so premium process and then once it gets approved uh, then maybe it's a good option for me to yeah so if you are thinking of changing jobs i would premium process your i-140 it may be different if it was at the texas service center we got information in recent days as a result of litigation that indicates texas service center just nothing is moving there. But if yours is at Nebraska, I would upgrade to premium and then after it's approved, use AC21 to change jobs using your EAD. So is this AC21 different than 485J? Um, the J supplement is what you would file with the, as to activate kind of the AC21. So the, if I get my 140 approved, will, they, uh, will the current employer not be able to uh, revoke it or withdraw them? They can still revoke it, but you're fine if you file the J supplement with the new employer. Okay. Thank you. Shashi? Hi, Deputy. Uh, thank you for taking the calls and answering these questions. I have a question for the Dallas Center. So my perm got approved 180 days back and in between, I applied my 140 and it got rejected. So it rejected due to the ability to pay and the, what other lawyer told me that that's rejected by mistake. So when I refile my 140 and premium, we pass that 180 days perm time. And every, every time I send it to Texas Center, it's coming back and we did it twice, it came back. But technically when I saw the blocks, it says that although uh, 180 time perm is expired, once you have filed it, yeah. you can see it. yeah. Okay, so when you say it was, the first I-140 was rejected. Was it rejected as in the filing fee was never even cashed or was it accepted and then denied? It was accepted and denied. Okay. Um, if that's the case, then yes, you can. And if it was accepted within the 180-day window, uh -huh. even if it was denied, then you can refile the I-140 using the same perm, um, even if it's past the 180 days. So you can try to refile the I-140, even if it's past 180 days now. The reason why it's probably getting rejected is if you're trying to file it in premium processing initially, usually the service centers won't accept a second filing in premium the first time. So what we usually do is if it's a second filing based on the same perm, we file it first in regular processing, get it accepted, 
get the receipt notice, and then after we get the receipt notice, then try to upgrade it to premium from there. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you very much right. for that. Sure. Really, thanks. Next question. Venkat. Venkat. You might still be muted. Yeah. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you very much for taking my call. I have a situation. I have an employee who is on R1 visa. And we applied his R1 visa extension at, uh, September 2020 and at California Center. We received the receipt notice and all. And uh, his family also, when we applied, his dependent also, we applied for the extension. Mm -hmm. And they received the fingerprint notifications and all. They completed the fingerprints in, in November. His original R1 was expired on November 30th of 2020. Meaning that his I-94 was also expired on uh, November 30th of uh, 2020. And uh, the immigration officer came to our facility to for an administrative visit uh -huh. for an inspection in uh, on April 20th. And then uh, he completed his uh, report and everything was good. Until today, we, do not we did not receive any, uh, any, any, any result out of it. In between what we did, the man, like, you know, we tried to, in, in October, we tried to just file a uh, premium processing on that one, on, on the R1. Uh -huh. And then we got that uh, application back along with the fee saying that, I mean, uh, inspection was not com successfully completed yet. I mean, we cannot uh, do the I'm premium on this. Oh, okay. And then, and then because, and then what we did, we tried to inquire online because the processing times on online for R1 was around March, March, April of this year. And it's been over like around uh, eight months, more than, more than a year. So, okay. that's, so this uh, is an R1 extension, right? That's been pending over a year now? Yes, it's around the, 14, 14 okay. plus the, the first R1 for this um, employee was approved pretty soon? It's approved. He, approved. Okay. he came from India. Okay. So, and does your organization have, have you filed for other R1 applications for other employees? Yeah. In, in the past, we did that. Those okay. were got approved and we applied green card for that okay. uh, employee. He got the green that card is, also. Yeah, that is a bit unusual, I would say, because the holdups due to the administrative site visit usually happen for kind of the first R1 or are more likely for the first R1 with an organization because they are checking it out, making sure it is, um, you know, a legitimate religious organization. Um, it is a bit unusual for it to be taking this long for an R1 extension, especially when you've had other R1 employees that have been approved. Yeah. I did talk um, to the immigration officer. I did talk to the immigration officer who visited the, uh, our place. And he mm -hmm. said, I mean, I provided my, my report. It reported is, everything is good and normal. But some reason it is still, I mean, on hold at the uh, California, uh, California Service Center. When we yeah. submitted the online inquiry, we got the reply saying that, I mean, it is on hold because of the, this is not exact word. Your case is currently delayed because the required security checks are still pending. We cannot make yeah. decision on your case until we receive the results of these security checks. So yeah, unfortunately, when it is due to a security check, there isn't much you can do to speed along the process. Um, don't even accept a premium upgrade request in those situations, like you said. Um, at most, all I can recommend you doing is potentially getting in touch with the USCIS ombudsman to see if they can 
help facilitate um, whatever is holding up the process. Okay. Or your local congressperson, um, yeah. have their liaison reach out to USCIS to see if there's anything that you can provide to if they're needing more information to facilitate it. But I would say those are your only options, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes, I have one quick question. I mean, two questions. Maybe. Sorry, I'll yeah. need to go on to- One, one um, quick question, one, fi one final question. Brudula? Hello, uh, yeah, thanks for taking our call. So um, we have a question on uh, the, uh, like two 485 applications, like basically what we did is uh, back in October 2020, we filed for uh, I-485 adjustment of status right under my wife uh, with an EB2 to EB3 downgrade and it went to Texas Service Center. So we have been trying to do the premium processing and unfortunately it got rejected for probably yeah. eight times now. And, uh, um, and we got our EAD actually last week, but still the underlying I-140 is pending. Mm -hmm. So what we did is, um, I also have a separate H-1B and a separate uh, um, kind of I-140 with my company that I work for. So we filed under EB-2 uh, with my priority date of Jan 2011 okay. uh, last week okay. uh, as a separate 485. So it did go to NBC. Uh, yeah. We got the receipts from NBC, but uh, unfortunately, the 485 uh, receipt numbers got transferred to Texas uh, yesterday. So we were like kind of uh, in a dilemma right on what's going on because we thought like this would help us process faster, right? Um, on the you mean the, um, the receipt number for the National Benefit Center applications, the USCIS case status says that your case has been transferred to the Texas Service Center? Yes, just the 485 receipt numbers, like the uh, okay. 765 and 131 still uh, at NBC, but just the 485 got transferred. Uh -oh. So we were like, okay, what do we do now, right? Like, is it like, again, going back to the queue and uh, we just wanted to take any options, right? Like, should we actually withdraw the application altogether right from Texas and refile? I would not withdraw the EB2 I-485s at this time. That is a bit unusual. I haven't heard of that happening of the National Benefit Center transferring cases to the Texas Service Center. Yeah. I mean, if anything, they should be doing the opposite because the Texas Service Center is the one that is so backlogged. Right. Uh, we don't know if, if, you know, in their system, they saw that there are I-485s for both of you already pending. Yeah, yeah. That's what it looks there. like actually, yeah. Because, uh, it, yeah, it looks like they were- But it's not, like, they don't really need to do that because the previous ones at the Texas Service Center were filed is with your wife as the primary applicant, right? And yes. these are with you as the primary applicant based That's on correct. separate yep. I-140s. I don't think they should have done that, but for whatever reason, USCIS is doing that. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it has been like unusual like, because we Yeah, the like Texas Service Center is uh, just a mess. Um, I wouldn't withdraw them just yet. Uh, okay. Potentially, if the I-7 EAD APs are still at the National Benefit Center, those might get approved. And that would at least, since your EB-2 I-140 is already approved, that would at least give you flexibility to change jobs after six months if you want to. Um, you know, if y'all end up just going with the EB-2 and kind of locking into that. Um, right. 
And I would wait a bit still to see what happens. Um, I don't know if they'll transfer it back to National Benefit Center. Yeah, that's kind of the first that I think we've heard of that specifically. Yeah, it's like we were surprised too because we yeah. like kind of thought it just... Uh, so the priority dates too, right, is my wife's priority yeah, date in between... Yeah, he's in June 2010 and mine is Jan 2011. Mm-hmm. Both are current anyway, but it's just that the, as the EB3 is not moving, right? And yeah. we thought of going with that. Uh, yeah, I would not withdraw it just yet. Um, I okay. would still wait a bit because if you withdraw then and refile, the same thing may happen and you may end up just paying more filing fees. Right. Uh, I would wait a bit and just see what happens. At the very least, you might at least be able to get the EADAP out of that one and and be able to at least have job portability. Sure. And then the EB3 downgrade too, right? As I think I heard from Texas too, like you mentioned earlier. So any reason why they're not crossing the premium? Because- We don't know why. Yeah. Well, part of it is um, some of the information that we learned recently as a result of litigation is that there are something like over 90,000 Um, applications pending at the Texas Service Center, and they are only processing something like 1,300 a month. Right. Um, And we don't know why, because compared to other service centers that are um, at multiple times that pace, we don't don't know why. Um, I think we're still trying to find out more, and probably some advocacy efforts need to be put in to fix whatever's going on at the Texas Service Center or transfer cases out of there. Um, yeah, yeah, we just yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's like probably last question, right? Again, probably most of the people might have the same one here. Is that like, like we were trying the premium processing on AB3 for like months now. And then finally in October, right, they responded like in 2021 to file in th- back in 30 days. So we were like, okay, at least they're like, uh, agreeing to process yeah. now. Yeah. But when we filed in, uh, uh, like, it, it was in September, okay? So when we filed in October again, after 30 days, we were, we didn't even get response after a, till a month, actually. <laughs> like, it was just not responded at all. So we actually took a risk and filed in November again with an additional premium check, though the attorney was against it, right? We said, okay, we'll pay the price. And we went ahead and submitted one more in November premium process and till date we didn't get response on that too so that's what concerns us right like and why now they stopped even responding to the premium kind of request we don't know it's very hard to know with the texas service center i mean there's yeah okay yeah we it's don't just like a lot they do what they do unfortunately um i'll take one last question viral show hi hi rebecca uh, my, my scenario is I, I had a previous visa stamp until December 2018. And after that, I got an H1 transfer, which was rejected. And after that, I had three approvals. So if I go to India, will I be still eligible for a Dropbox? The reason why I'm asking is there is a question that uh, I, I should not have any previous refusal in the same category of visa. That's one of the eligibility question. So my question is, if the H1 transfer rejected is considered a visa or that's different, completely different? So would it still be eligible? It's a bit different. Yeah, what they mean is refusals of a visa application at the consulate, mostly. So if you haven't had a visa 
application at the consulate rejected, then it should be fine. All right. Um, yeah. So yeah, oh. fine. Um, as long as you are trying to use the Dropbox um, before the end of this month, because that four-year extension on the Dropbox right Correct. now it's only valid until the end of this year, December 31st. All right. Extended beyond that, but there isn't any official announcement on on that four-year extension yet. Correct. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. So in, in also DS-160, I should fill it as no, because visa is not a H-1 transfer rejection. Both are different, right? So right. anywhere if the questions appears, I should always say no. Um, if it's talking about a visa refusal, you can say no if you have okay. a refusal or 221G before. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much. And just had one more, like I had I-140 receipt notice and on that the priority date was incorrect. They they put the I-140 approved date instead of the labor submission date. So that uh, date was incorrect. Okay. And we raised, we raised a service request with the employee and attorney, but there's no update to that. So what, what are the options? Yeah, we have seen that, um, unfortunately, every now and then. So we have encountered that also. Unfortunately, if it wasn't in premium processing, then the only thing you can do is keep raising service requests to try to get them to send a new fixed approval notice. If it was filed in premium, you can email the premium processing unit and they are usually much better with customer service on responding to that. Um, but uh, in the long run, if your priority date comes up and you want to use that I-140 approval, for example, to file the I-485, if your approval notice hasn't been corrected yet with the priority date, you can still proceed. Um, even if there's a typo on the I-140, you can just explain that in the I-485 um, application, include the documents that show what your correct priority date is, um, according to like your labor um, filed date, and you say I should still accept it. We've done that. In the past. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Okay, um, so we'll have to end the conference here for today. Um, I know that uh, some people were asking when Bravel is going to be back. As far as I know, it will be next Tuesday, the 7th, is when he's expected to return to the conference calls and to the um, Tuesday Facebook live sessions. Um, and uh, if we weren't able to get to your question, or if you're particularly long or kind of um, detailed scenario, uh, we recommend discussing one-on-one -on -one with an attorney by making an appointment through our website. Um, it is pretty limited what we can address in these conference calls since it is a shorter format with multiple people. Okay, um, thank you. Uh, the next conference will be tomorrow uh, at 11.30. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.